The title of this morning's message is Forgiveness, All or Nothing. <laughs> this morning I want to talk to you about our forgiveness. Are we as born-again believers forever forgiven? Or is it necessary for us to obtain continual forgiveness of our sins as we walk through this life? Well, here at Triumphant Grace, we believe that the Bible clearly teaches that we have already been forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, and even future. And yes, all actually means all. <laughs> Not even one sin can be counted against us by God. Now, everybody else will count your sins against you. That's why sin's not a good idea. <laughs> But not even one sin can be counted against us by God because he has already counted all of our sins against the body of Jesus. And we can see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Here Peter says, He, speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus bore all the sin of mankind in his body on the cross. The sin debt of every man has already been paid. So no one has to die apart from God's eternal life because their sin debt has been paid. But it doesn't do them any good unless they believe it and receive it. <laughs> so we can see this in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Here John says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. Isn't it kind of funny that he has to tell them? <laughs> Guys, I know you love Jesus, but the sinning is really bad for you. <laughs> and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What? <laughs> the Apostle John reminds his readers here that they should not choose sin. Why would he have to remind them of this? See, a lot of these people are Jews. What do you do when you sin and you're a Jew? Don't you got to make some sacrifices and some confessions? <laughs> but he tells them, wait, wait. You don't need to be worried that God is mad or that he will punish you. Instead, they can continue to have confidence in our Father's favor and goodness because of Jesus. Jesus is the satisfaction or the propitiation for all our sins. All our sins. And not only ours, but everyone's sins. Our Heavenly Father is satisfied by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. For all time, and for all people, and for all sin. So, as believers, we should not choose to sin. But if it happens, we do not fall out of our Heavenly Father's favor and grace because Jesus has already satisfied our Father's justice and righteousness by dying in our place. 
for years. For years. <laughs> I did something. I wasn't a practicer of any kind of, you know, quote unquote, big sin. But see, I recognized early on that sin was anything that was less than perfect. Sin means to miss the mark. So even when I was just not perfect, <laughs> I got a good spanking for three or four days <laughs> from me because I was sure God was mad. I was sure he turned his face away. I was sure he was like, you go to your room until you come to your senses, young lady. <laughs> Because that's what I was taught. If you sin, the Holy Spirit leaves you. Is that what Scripture says? I don't think so. So, in the New Covenant, forgiveness of sin is an all-or-nothing proposition. Nobody ever told me this. <laughs> and that's because it is a finished work. Nothing else can be added to the cross for the forgiveness of sin. Not our confessions. Not our pleading for forgiveness. Not our feelings of being really sorry, having lots of regret, and yes, not even beating ourselves up for a couple of days. None of that enables God to forgive us. <laughs> There's only one thing that will forever be the only reason our sins are ever forgiven. And that is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has provided complete forgiveness for all our sins. Jesus shed his blood once for all people, for all time, and for all sin. He's done dealing with our sin debt. He has sat down at the Father's right hand because the payment for all sin is already paid in full. And now anyone, anyone can receive eternal life. Anyone, the Buddhist, <laughs> Hare Krishna, who doesn't matter. Anyone can receive the salvation, the eternal life God has if they will put their faith in Christ alone. Under the new covenant, forgiveness of sin happens all at once when the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the death of Jesus. And we become completely new creations. And as new creatures in Christ Jesus, we have, not just hypothetically, but in actuality, we have already passed from death into eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start when we physically die. <laughs> That's when we'll really notice it. <laughs> but that's not when it starts. It starts the second that Jesus comes to live in our heart. And we can see this in John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus himself said, Truly, truly, in other words, really pay attention here. <laughs> I'm telling you something true that you're not necessarily going to understand or like. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, not just Jews, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has already passed from death to life. Of course, added the word already, because it is implied. <laughs> Jesus does not say 
that the one who believes in him will someday not come into judgment or someday will pass from death into life. Jesus purposely puts the spiritual reality in the past tense. He says, whoever believes in the Father and the Son, you have to have both, (laughs) has already passed from death into life. It was a finished work even for those who were listening then. They too were saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't come right out and say that their sins are not counted against them going forward. But based on what Jesus just said, that would have to be the case. He says something permanent has happened to you. And therefore, if we have passed from death into life, then whatever sins come thereafter, obviously do not have the power to negate the eternal life that we have in Christ. The eternal life of God was not and is not subject to the power of sin and death. Sin and death cannot usurp the power of God's eternal life. This is really good news. (laughs) Because forever I thought it did. (laughs) Today I'm saved. Oh, I sinned. Not saved anymore. Got to get resaved. Got to get rededicated. Maybe even get rebaptized. Because you want to make it stick. (laughs) the eternal life of God was not and is not subject to the power of sin and death sin and death cannot ever usurp the power of God's eternal life inside of a believer so why doesn't Jesus address this issue right there and then because at that point The Jewish people already had a way of dealing with their sins through their sacrificial system. (laughs) And that was still in place when Jesus said this. And they were probably happy with their system. But God wasn't. (laughs) They were, but God wasn't. Generally speaking, the Jewish people did not think they had a sin problem. They thought the Gentiles had a sin problem. (laughs) They thought they had a Roman problem. So in their understanding, Jesus as the Messiah came to address the Roman problem because the salvation they were looking for was the salvation from their physical enemies and oppressors, not their spiritual ones. But God wasn't happy. (laughs) God wasn't happy with just covering over sin with the blood of animals and leaving his people under the power of sin and death. So he sent Jesus to completely defeat all of it. Now, many of the statements I've made here today very often sound very wrong (laughs) to believers who are ingrained with a mixture of Old and New Covenant teachings. Many believers have been indoctrinated to believe that since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he deals with New Testament believers much the same way as he dealt with Old Testament believers. And that the only real difference is that we don't have to bring animal sacrifices to God anymore in order to be forgiven for our sins. But other than that, they actually see it more as a continuation of the Old Covenant. 
but with an eternal lamb that is continuously being sacrificed and pouring out its blood so that they can continue to have their sins blotted out or covered over again and again and again and again because that's how it worked in the Old Testament. So many continue to embrace the idea that believers are expected (laughs) by God to basically go through the same kind of ceremonial procedures of confession and sacrifice on a continual basis in order to keep themselves saved. (laughs) And I know from experience that trying to keep yourself saved is literally a very painful full-time job. especially when you love Jesus and our Heavenly Father. Believers who love God, (laughs) who know Him, not baby believers, they don't really love God. (laughs) Those baby Christians that don't know anything, they hear all of this old covenant teaching and think, God is happy with me, God is mad with me. God is punishing me, God is mad at me. Bad things happen, it's all God's fault. Bad, bad teaching. People who love God want to please Him. They want God to be happy with them. (laughs) But unfortunately, they believe that God is only happy with them when they are not messing up. I was always messing up. (laughs) I was always not being perfect. (laughs) And I hated that. I used to pray over the, please, just make me perfect, Jesus. Just make me perfect. (laughs) You need to fix me. (laughs) I didn't know he already had. (laughs) This kind of old covenant indoctrination is not good news. It is not the good news of Jesus. Jesus said that those who believe on him and the Father do not come into judgment. Ever. (laughs) But have passed from death into eternal life while they are still here on planet Earth. But unfortunately, a large percentage of believers are still trying to earn their eternal life as if it is a reward for their good behavior when they physically die. They don't believe they already have it and that it is a permanent possession. Many still believe that they're on parole. <laughs> they believe on Jesus as their savior. <laughs> but they also believe they still have to live according to the 10 commandments. And they still believe they have to confess their sins every day to get them under the blood. Especially those recent ones, you got to get them under the blood through confession of sin and by being really sorry. You got to show God how sorry you are or he won't forgive you. Have you heard that one? As if it was based on us and not Jesus' blood. They promise, just like I used to, I'll try harder, God, I'll try harder. Please just don't be mad at me. (laughs) Don't take thine Holy Spirit from me. So many believers are still doing these things today, and they believe that if they just keep doing what they're doing, if they're consistent, They purpose to confess every sin. They purpose to get everything under blood. They purpose to be sorry. They purpose to be sorry. (laughs) They purpose to try to die. (laughs) If they keep doing this, and they don't mess up too bad, 
between now and the day they die, then they believe they will go to heaven when they physically die. But going to heaven is not what Jesus was talking about. He never even mentions heaven. He was talking about entering into eternal life now, <laughs> while we're still here on planet Earth. He never mentions heaven in this passage. He only mentions eternal life. But so many believers think that eternal life is what you get when you die. No! <laughs> it's what you get when you get Jesus. <laughs> the same thing happens over in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, about receiving eternal life here and now. I'll begin reading in verse 16 and end in verse 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. First of all, Nicodemus would have been mad right off the bat. What do you mean telling me God loves the whole world? God does not love Gentiles. God loves Israel. <laughs> He's already made Nicodemus mad. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life when they physically die. <laughs> That's what it says, right? <laughs> if it's in red, I put it in there. <laughs> Doesn't this say that eternal life becomes ours when we physically die? <laughs> or does it plainly state that those who believe have, not will have, but have currently possess everlasting or eternal life. Verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Now what does it mean to be condemned? To be judged as guilty of sin and to be placed under the sentence of death. Remember the former scripture? Will not come into judgment. <laughs> so God has not put the world under condemnation. He sent Jesus to be able to take away the condemnation for the whole world. It goes on, but that the world th through him might be saved. And I love the word saved. <laughs> Sozoed. Saved, healed, delivered, protected, provided for, and made whole through the faith in Jesus and his finished work. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not. Is not. Not will not be. Him that believeth right now is not right now condemned. He is not judged as guilty of sin. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is the only way out from underneath condemnation. What I want you to see here is that forgiveness of sin is an all or nothing proposition. We are either found guilty of sin and judged accordingly as a sinner, or we believe on Jesus as the Son of God, and we become born-again children of God, and we receive the eternal life of God right here and right now. And then we never, never, never enter into judgment regarding sin. Never. Never. <laughs> because we have already entered into eternal life with God our Father 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's eternal life, not temporary life. It's God's very own life that he has given to us through the Holy Spirit. God is not temporary. <laughs> he is eternal. And he actually makes us one with himself so that we can never be separated from him again, even when we sin. And yes, all believers fall short of our Father's glorious perfection from time to time. But when we do, we do not need to fear our Father's disappointment or abandonment of us. Because he has promised to never, I, God never does a lot of things. <laughs> How those never, never turns his face away from us in disgust or disappointment. You ever hear that? God is so disappointed in you. Oh, great. <laughs> How do I fix that? <laughs> you know why? He has no reason to. He's God, <laughs> and he knows our flesh is weak. He's not surprised by that. But he also knows that his indwelling presence in us is the power we need to overcome and defeat all the temptations of our physical flesh and our fleshly carnal thinking. <laughs> it's him in us. He doesn't leave us when we fall. Instead, he picks us up and he brushes us off and he reminds us of who we really are. <laughs> We're children of God and who really lives in and through us forever. He always wants to remind us that he has already won the victory over all the power of sin and that we really can do all things through him. Now, there are those who would say that I'm giving you a license to sin <laughs> by saying that sin no longer separates us from God. But that idea comes from trying to mix the temporary forgiveness of the old covenant with the eternal forgiveness of the new covenant. When the covenants are mixed together, we find that the old just doesn't fit in with the new. And we can see this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Then John's disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why do we, the Pharisees, fast often? Your disciples don't. <laughs> and Jesus asked them, The wedding guests can't mourn as long as the groom is with them, can they? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. He was speaking of the cross and the ascension. No one patches an old garment with a piece of unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. In other words, the old covenant is old <laughs> and it's becoming obsolete and it cannot be mended to make it effective for salvation by trying to add Jesus' blood to it. <laughs> Verse 17. Nor do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will spill out and the skins will be ruined. Instead, they pour new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. The new wine of the new covenant will not fit within the confines of the old covenant way of salvation. And that's because the new way of salvation is overwhelmingly better. <laughs> it's completely based on God and his goodness and his mercy. Whereas the old covenant it's based on humans making their own righteousness like those Pharisees who were so proud of themselves with their fasting. The old covenant never provided them with eternal life. Never! 
<laughs> the new wine of the indwelling Holy Spirit will not fit into an old covenant of sin management. John the Baptist's disciples wanted to know why Jesus' disciples were not doing things according to the Jewish traditions, like fasting. <laughs> and Jesus basically tells them that his disciples cannot add an old covenant way of salvation to the new way, new covenant of salvation. And Jesus, as the groom of the new covenant, explains that the new way of salvation simply would overwhelm and destroy, and yes, it does, <laughs> and disable it from being effective. There's no salvation in keeping the rules. There's no eternal life. And that's why the new way of salvation needed a whole new container. <laughs> in other words, a whole new understanding of how God was working through his son and through the new covenant. The new covenant isn't another sin management program. I spent years managing my sin debt. It was hard. <laughs> I got good at it, though. <laughs> I got good at being sorry. I got good at confessing. I got good at doing all the things that didn't matter. <laughs> so the new covenant isn't another or a better sin management program. Instead, it's a sin-destroying program. The new covenant through the blood of Jesus was the only way that God the Father could free his beloved humanity, all of them, from the power and presence of sin and turn all the prodigals into ruling and reigning sons of God. Under the old covenant, God gave Israel the ability to manage their sin debt through their sacrificial system. By believing God and following his instructions, the Israelites could live in relationship with God and receive his blessings. But the old covenant with his laws and sacrifices could never give them God's eternal life or God's very own righteousness. Their sins were always counted against them. And that's why God brought the new covenant through Jesus. He didn't like the old one. <laughs> and we can see this through in Galatians chapter 3, verses 17 through 27. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. This means that the covenant between God and Abraham was fulfilled in Messiah and cannot be altered. Yet the written word was not even given to Moses until 430 years later, after God had signed his contract with Abraham. The law then doesn't supersede the promise since the royal proclamation was given before the law. If that were the case, it would have nullified what God said to Abraham. We receive all of the promises because of the promised one, not because we keep the law. You would be hard-pressed to find a believer who believes that. <laughs> that we have all the promises of God apart from law-keeping. Most believers believe, I'm blessed because I'm obedient. No, you are blessed because the blood of Jesus doesn't count any of your imperfections against you. <laughs> Verse 19. Why then was the law given? It was meant to be an intermediary agreement added after God gave the promise to the coming one. It was given to show men how guilty they are. <laughs> and that, believe me, it's really good at doing that. <laughs> and it remained in force until the seed, Jesus, was born to fulfill the promises given to Abraham. When God gave the law, he didn't give it to them directly. He gave it first to the angels, and they gave it to Moses, his mediator, who then gave it to the people. 
Now, a mediator does not represent just one party alone, but God fulfilled it all by himself. Since this is true, should we consider the written law to be contrary to the promise of new life? How absurd! <laughs> Truly, if there was a law that we could keep which would give us new life, then our salvation would have come by law-keeping. They didn't have it. Verse 22. But the scriptures make it clear that since we were all under the power of sin, since we were all under the power of sin, not just the Gentiles, <laughs> we needed Jesus. And he is the Savior who brings the promise to those who believe. So until the revelation of faith for salvation was released, the law was a jailer. I was always in prison. <laughs> holding us prisoners under lock and key until the faith which was destined to be revealed would set us free. The law becomes a gateway to lead us to Messiah so that we would be saved by faith, not by law keeping. Verse 25. But when faith comes, the law is no longer in force. Now what does that mean for us? It means it cannot condemn us and judge us guilty of sin and sentence us to death. The law no longer is able, because that's what it does. It says, look how far you fall short. <laughs> You're a sinner, and death is a sentence. But as believers, that law no longer applies to us, since we have already entered into life, eternal life. Since we've already entered into God's eternal life, there is no longer a need for a sin management program through law-keeping and confession and sacrifice and begging and pleading and being really sorry. Instead, Jesus has already managed all of our sin debt right into death. <laughs> they have all been paid in full by the blood of Jesus. And now, when we fall short of our Father's glorious perfection, those sins and failures do not have the power to destroy the life of God within us. I wish someone had told me that. <laughs> because forever, churches made it sound like sin was so much more powerful than Jesus. It could kill you. It could destroy you. You've got to get yourself under the blood. I don't have to get myself under the blood. I'm in eternal life. I'm in Christ Jesus, and I'm not getting out. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> the life and power of God is bigger and more powerful than any sin or failure. Verse 26. You have all become true children of God by the faith of Jesus in the Anointed One. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one. And now you are covered and clothed with his anointing. We already died to sin. We died to it. It doesn't have power over us at all. It can never cause us to be condemned. We have his life. We have God's righteousness, not our own. This is the best righteousness. <laughs> we have his power and his glory and his heart and his love and his everything. We have his kingdom because we have him. 
the new covenant is so much better than the old because we actually become true children of God, not a child of Israel, not a child of a nation, not a child of a denomination. We become children of God. And the moment we accept Jesus, we have the eternal life because the moment we accept Jesus, we have Jesus. The problem with the old covenant was that it never addressed Israel's real problem. Their real problem was that they were sinners, <laughs> which is very apparent when you read the old covenant because they were always running amok with sin. <laughs> and the best that God had to offer them back then was a sin management system. It was a lamb by lamb, sin by sin way of managing their sin debt. But none of their sins were ever actually removed from them. And we can see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. I have it for you again in the Passion. The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there still was nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. They always knew they were still guilty. God has always wanted man's heart. He's always wanted to be a father to us. He's always wanted us to enjoy him and him to enjoy us. He always wanted mankind to know and experience his love. But in order for this to happen, our father needed to provide a way to set us free from the power and presence of sin. We needed a sin removal program, not a sin management system. For if animal sacrifices could once and for all, eliminate sin. Why is he saying once, once and for all? He said he's comparing this new covenant with this old covenant. For if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered, and the worshipers would have clean consciences. Instead, once was not enough. <laughs> you just keep saying you're sorry till you feel better. <laughs> so by the repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshipers were continually reminded of their own sins with their hearts still impure. For what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? Answer to the question, none. Verse 5, so when Jesus the Messiah came into the world, he said to the Father, since your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body that I might offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. For New Covenant believers, the burnt offerings and sin offerings referred to here are basically the equivalent of our begging and pleading for forgiveness each and every time we fail. Our promises to do better and our beating ourselves up in an effort to get God to forgive us of our sins is actually ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> None of those actions could ever satisfy God's justice because God is only satisfied with the blood of Jesus. <laughs> oh, I wish the whole Christian community in the world would know that. None of that. We've already, he's already dealt with us. He's already given us his eternal life and his kingdom. And he said, when you fall, you go to God and handle it. Absolutely. But do you need to get forgiven? No because we never come into judgment. 
All of it happened when we got Jesus. Verse seven. This is, again, Jesus speaking. So I said to you, God, I will be the one to go and do your will to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. First, he said, multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice, even though the law required them to be offered. And then he said, God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces the entire system with a new covenant. See, we could read that with, because Jesus being the sacrifice that removes sin, all sin forever, he has abolished all of our begging and our pleading and our being sorry and all the things we do in our own self-effort to get God to like us <laughs> and accept us. Verse 10, by God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. Under the new covenant, all of our sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus, and the power and presence of sin has been removed, removed from us forever when we believe on Jesus. And now we stand forgiven of all sin for all time. The law can no longer demand any offerings of any kind for the forgiveness of sin because Jesus has already paid it. And we have already entered into our Father's eternal life where we are safe. I love this. We are safe from all the power. We are safe from the power of sin and death. It can't hurt us. God has made us safe. In the Greek, the word for safe is sozoed. <laughs> Saved, healed, delivered, provided for, protected, and made whole. We are safe in him. Our spirit man is safe and untouchable inside the Lord Jesus Christ within us. Satan can't touch it. Sin can't touch it. We are impenetrable because of Christ. This is so important for believers to understand. We don't have to live in fear of losing our salvation or fear of never measuring up to God's holiness. In fact, instead of believers trying to become holy, our Father wants believers to understand that He has already created them in true righteousness and holiness. These are not things we are trying to become. It is who He has made us to be. In the same way, we are not trying to obtain eternal life when we die <laughs> by living according to the law. Eternal life is a free gift from our Father that we possess the moment we believe on Jesus. So, our Father doesn't want us working to achieve or to earn our eternal life when we physically die. It's just really dumb. <laughs> we have it. <laughs> he wants us to learn to live from our eternal life in Christ Jesus here on planet Earth. We have been, not will be. We have been, past tense, purified and made holy once and for all. Not just until our next sin, but once and for all, for all time, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Our Father has already given us his eternal life in our brand spanking new spirit. 
I wanted to actually say our brand spanking baby butt spanking new spirit. <laughs> we can edit that out later. <laughs> we are completely new. Baby butt spanking new. We are not who we used to be. That person died. And now we have eternal life in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are holy. We are righteous. We are eternal. He wants us to learn who we are so we can walk it out so other people can say there's something different about you and we can say you're absolutely right let me tell you what jesus has done for you we have been sealed with the holy spirit nothing no sin no demon no devil can get inside nothing is getting out i am full of the holy spirit and all i can ever do is release the power of the holy spirit so when we fall short of god's glorious perfection what do we do <laughs> if we're not begging and pleading and trying to be really sorry, well, what do we do? Well, for starters, it is appropriate to acknowledge that we have been stupid. Because sin is always stupid. <laughs> so it's perfectly appropriate for us to acknowledge to the Lord, stupid flesh had got me. <laughs> it is even appropriate for us to apologize to the Lord for our stupidity and for not listening to the Holy Spirit. Sorry. <laughs> That's all it takes. You know why we do that? We do that for us, not for him. <laughs> but it's actually not appropriate for us to beg him for forgiveness. Because we already have it. Child, what's wrong with you? I already gave you that. <laughs> and that's what we need to acknowledge to the Lord when we fail. It might sound something like this. Thank you, Father that you don't hold my stupidity against me. Thank you that you are not mad at me for my selfishness or my stupidity. I ask for your help. I ask for your wisdom. I ask for your strength to make better choices. Lord, I am sorry for my sin, but I am so grateful for the blood of Jesus that has already set me free from all the power of sin and death. I thank you for your eternal life through the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you keep me safely tucked away inside of Christ. Now, some who hear this might think I'm saying that it doesn't matter if we sin. Not saying that. <laughs> Let me tell you it again. Sin is stupid. <laughs> it will wreck and destroy all the good things in your life. Sin is us trying to meet our own needs, our own way, instead of trusting in our Father's goodness and His promises to supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So yes, sin can wreck our lives if we let it, but it is powerless to steal our eternal life and salvation. Death and sin are powerless against the indwelling spirit of the living God. <laughs> My point is that salvation and forgiveness under the new covenant is an all or nothing proposition. Either we have eternal life right now, or we don't have it at all. Either all of our sins are forgiven, or none of our sins are forgiven. Because forgiveness in the new covenant is an all or nothing proposition. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word that sin is powerless. Sin is powerless. Sin is defeated. 
The power of sin has no power over believers. Lord, help us to believe that. <laughs> help us to believe that we've been made free. Help us to believe that we are holy. Help us to believe we are all that you say we are. Thank you, Father God, for the eternal life we already possess. Thank you, Father, for the kingdom of God that I get to live in and from now here on planet Earth. Father, we thank you for your word and its truth. In Jesus' name, amen.